This is Suzanne York with Humans Optimized. We specialize in change management for technology adoption by bringing together advancements in technology with elevated human skills. Our aim is to cultivate human-to-human and human-to-technology collaboration. This combination will allow us to take advantage of the immense opportunities in the future of work. The federal government has identified urban fresh food deserts, and the lack of access to fresh produce for underserved communities is creating a significant need for new solutions. Well, what if you could grow fresh produce year-round, just miles from your home, without using herbicides, pesticides, or any other chemicals because they're grown completely indoors? Joining me today are Jason Green and Michael Cardenas from Hilux, the creator of LumaFilm and GrowFilm. Their breakthrough technology grows plants of all types indoors for local food production. I'm really excited to learn more and to see where the conversation takes us. Jason and Michael, welcome. Thanks for having us. Hello. Thank you. Well, we are talking uh, from different parts of the country. So you are in the um, Minneapolis region. Is that right? Correct. Yep, that is correct. That's great. And I'm over here in Boston, and I'm really excited to hear about what your technology is doing for these urban fresh food deserts. So can you tell us more about that concept, and then we'd love to hear more about your technology and your company as well. All right. Well, yeah, so we work with a lighting company here out of Minnesota. Um, We sell LED lights uh, for grow solutions um, on indoor uh, vertical farms. And the main thing is, you know, the problem in the world is as our growing population is getting larger and larger, you know, we need to produce more food as a country and actually as globally, you know, as a world. And what they're finding out with, um, you know, the new technologies, especially with lighting, hydroponic and aeroponic growing, is it's, it's starting to be financially feasible to grow food indoors with grow lights and have a complete controlled environment where the where the farmer is able to control every aspect of what they're growing, and it, it's starting to work out that um, companies are being able to profit and grow food this way um, locally. Uh, you no longer need food to travel. Um, you can literally have these indoor farms in the same city that they're selling produce to. And uh, with the overall challenge of our growing population, changing weather patterns. Um, it's really all hands on deck in the next 50 years as far as growing food and, buy, and bringing food to our population. And indoor vertical grow farms do, is part of that solution. And uh, we just we have a role in this in, in, in the lighting aspect. And that really is what, you know, kind of brought Grow Film together and, and the problem that we're trying to solve. And when I think about the intersection of people and technology, having a solution like that that really fills a need is incredible to think about the possibilities. Jason, how do you think about what you can do to upend the the industry and what's happening? Um, There's a lot of great opportunities there. You said the human aspect of this is bringing food back to the community and bringing back to the table. And one of the really interesting pieces about this is the researchers now, they have proven that inside a controlled environment, they can create the variables to uh, enrich the food that we're getting. And um, as a researcher mentioned one time, he said they did a study with broccoli and they were able to create the same growing environment as it would have been a thousand years ago on the rich soil of the River Nile in Egypt. And they pulled this broccoli out and they studied it 
and the phytochemicals and all the great antioxidants and this broccoli were off the charts compared to what we get conventionally out of a field. So not only are we providing fresh, locally grown produce, which helps to bring jobs to the community, helps the people get a connection with the plants, they're growing the plants that are feeding the people in their community. But the other thing is now from science, we can ensure that the quality of that produce and the nutritional value is as high as could possibly be for everybody in the family. Wow, that's really fascinating to me. I've done some, you know, personal research on on health and food and really interested in providing the best for my family. And it is shocking how different our food is these days. And so to hear that we could return to nutrient-rich foods that are locally grown, I mean, I'm excited and I'd, I'd love to learn more about what would accelerate the adoption of this and what might be some of the barriers to it? Well, yeah, um, the adoption to it, I mean, again, it goes back to the profitability of farming, you know, and LED lights really has, um, you know, made that possible with, um, uh, you know, like high pressure sodiums, the more expensive energy um, taking lights, um, you know, for us to have food available for everybody, it needs to be at a good cost in the grocery store. So, you know, you have to have a profit model to be able to, you know, sell lettuce in a bag for $3.99 and profit as a company so you can keep rolling. Um, so that's really what's turned the edge as far as uh, indoor growing has gone. Um, you know, and, you know, of course, we're living in the COVID world. Um, that is also pushing the envelope. Uh, now that, you know, you know, everything is kind of getting more localized and, and things like that. We don't want food handled any much, any longer. We don't want food to travel. Um, and travel is really what kills a lot of that nutrition in the food. Uh, you know, living here in Minnesota, when we get lettuce, you know, in the month of December, by the time it gets here from California, it's basically roughage. There's, there's not a lot of nutritional value. And that kind of plays to what Jason was just talking about. You know, now you're going to be looking at something that was harvested, you know, hours ago versus, you know, a week ago and then got on a truck and traveled for a week. So um, so I, I think you're going to see, especially right now, uh, this is a very hot industry. You're going to see a lot of investment um, in the next coming years going into vertical grow farms. Suzanne, just for instance, talking about the travel piece that's so important and how COVID has disrupted the supply chain. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal about farmers that are just plowing their crops underground because they cannot get them out of the field. Uh, it's heartbreaking. Yes. And there was one farmer, I believe he was in Georgia, that said because they love the land so much and they want to steward the land and grow this the best they can. He literally he had 500 plus acres of lettuce. He plowed under 230 acres. And if I use a metric of 1,500 heads of lettuce per acre... That's 345,000 heads of lettuce that just got destroyed because wow. we can't move it or do things. So these are really very big pieces. And Michael, as he said, one of the big pieces is matching up this parity between the farmer that's been traditional looking outside, but the small farmer is getting squeezed very hard. Mm. And we saw a statistic that in Pennsylvania, the average small farmer makes $29,000 a year. So they have to have a second full-time job just to support themselves. And what we can do is we're actually working with a company and through some resources in Pennsylvania to help these family farms stay sustainable 
And what they're going to do is build small, mini indoor grow operations on their farms now where they can produce the same produce. And then this company is helping to establish grocery stores and underserved communities owned by people of color and such. And then the farmer will have a direct connection to supply that little grocery store in that community with the fresh vegetables. So there you're talking about job creation. It's a win-win-win across the board. It really is compelling. And we do things like that for distribution of goods. You know, we've got our main warehouses and then the satellite distribution centers. Mm -hmm. And so to apply that thinking to farming, I really see the potential to think differently and therefore solve the problems that we currently have related to food distribution differently as well. Exactly. So what is your vision, you know, either you're personally, what would you like to see or what is your company standing for when it comes to leveraging your technology to create such impactful change? The long-term vision of the overall industry is you're going to see these farms start popping up in in urban cities, um, especially places like Minnesota or even looking at Las Vegas that, you know, you just farming at certain parts of the year or at all parts of the year is just not possible. Um, our role in all this is, um, you know, we've been in, in R&D for probably the last four years. Um, the luxury that Jason and I get to have is we get to go into sep- several different farms um, where a lot of people, are, you know, a lot of this research that everybody's doing under lock and key, you know, Jason and I kind of get to see all this stuff, which is really neat. And our place in all of this is to provide lighting systems for scalable solutions for these farms that can be built in these cities and provide produce for an entire city. Um, and, and I guess that's kind of the vision of, you know, where, where we see this going and, and in our role in this is helping, helping vertical farms scale with lighting because when they're, when they're looking at all their CapEx, you know, lighting is a significant one. You know, lighting is going to be one of your more significant things you buy to start your indoor grow farm. And uh, what we do is help uh, companies like that find balance through cost, um, you know, efficiency and production. Yes. And I would add to that personal vision is really to let children um, know where food comes from. I was very fortunate. I grew up in an urban city and and my neighborhood would be considered a food desert where not a lot of stuff at convenience stores, but you could get to the grocery store, right? So a food desert is... In your communities, you don't have big grocery stores. They have convenience stores. Most convenience stores don't have fresh, healthy produce. It's all processed foods. And many of the kids never know where their food comes from. I was fortunate enough to have grandparents that had a farm, so I would go down and see this. And when you bring the kids to the farms, the way that they light up and how much um, uh, uh, curiosity and everything. And there's also data that says Humans out being amongst nature is better for us, better for anxiety, better for our blood pressure, better for everything. So this is a way to really bring the land and all of this back together. And one of the other things that we've been working on um, quietly but very strategically with several very large uh, educational institutions is eventually bringing this so we can almost be um, uh, uh, power zero. So they can put this with um, solar panels. And for instance, you could run a farm off of a solar panel, or I had to fly to a customer in Ohio, which one of my great customers was a long-term farmer, 78 years old. And he said, Jason, I've learned how to control every variable in farming outside except for one. And that is the sun. 
But with your light and how closely you're able to put it, now I can get the same kind of crops indoors that I used to have to wait for outdoors and hope that I had enough sun or not too much rain, etc. And then I had the cab driver who was taking me to visit this farm, and he was from Nigeria. Asked me what I was doing. I told him I sell this light. And he goes, that sounds amazing. He told me a story. He said, you know, in Nigeria, everyone has two phones because if power goes out in my village, it may be a week or two. And I told him about this concept we work on, worked on with universities where they took one solar panel and one of our grow film, um, what we call our two by four, and, and a battery pack. And they were able to grow 24, 28 heads of lettuce every month in a two-foot-by-four-foot area on a countertop running one solar panel and a battery. And uh, that could work here in underserved communities in Minnesota, or as this Nigerian person said, that could work in a hut in his village where they could help to grow the food during the day, and then the excess power would light the dwelling at night. Wow, that is an incredible concept. I love the idea of the power zero, using Mm -hmm. the sun to, to create indoor sun. I mean, it's really, it's really remarkable. It really is. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. <laughs> and, yeah. And so speaking of fascinating, I'd love to even get a little more detailed. Um, and this is for the folks who in, in the realm of, okay, so how does this work? So we've talked about what you do and why it's so incredible. Tell me more about LumaFilm and GrowFilm, even from a technical level, so people can understand what it, how it does what it does. Well, LumaFilm, kind of the funny backstory is LumaFilm has been around for a long time in architectural. It's a flexible uh, LED. We use very um, uh, small light, so it's an intimate light, but it's extremely uniform. So you can light up anything that's going around. And most of your people, if they've been in an Apple store or a different Tiffany's building or watched the Super Bowl that was in the U.S. Bank Stadium, which I believe the you guys were in, um, a couple of years ago, they show all these sweeping columns of light. It's been everywhere. And then what happened is somebody was working with it, and then they talked to a friend of theirs who was a grower and said, I've worked with this really bright light all day and it didn't get hot and that's a big piece is heat management indoors is huge so literally it's kind of like the old Reese's peanut butter cup hey you dipped your chocolate in my peanut butter and that's how it came together so we worked with one of our academic advisors who was at the University of Minnesota at the time and he looked at this and said where did you get this so we make it and he goes I can teach you how to grow plants with this and that's literally how we came about and We have been able to, as um, Michael has alluded to with some of the growers here, over the last three years, able to decrease crop cycles by 20 to 40%. That means if it took them 17 days to grow basil before they harvested, they have now been able to reduce that to 12 days. And that's a significant increase in that. And that's, that's the technical side of grow film. It's very, very uniform. The technical word for it is the Lambertian effect. So it's like a 3D uh, light that just engrosses the whole plant. And we put more light energy into the plant surface than just about any other light capable on the market. That's an amazing description. I think about, you know, the phrase of necessity is the mother of invention. In this case, the invention found its application by people looking at it and saying, I could use that. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And when we first started on, Michael and I would often say, you know, it's like Star Trek. 
And we'd have to tell the customers like, hey, you know, we're the sales guys. The real smart people are back at the home office and we'd have to call our engineers and go, okay, could we do this? And they're like, mm, yeah, we could do that. And most of the things we can, but there's some of the pieces where, uh, as Scotty used to say on Star Trek, I can't change the laws of physics and there's an endpoint. And mm. um, that kind of goes back to the, the transparency of things. We've had people for instance, come to us at a trade show and go, I want to cover 40 feet wide by 120 feet long in a greenhouse. What's that going to cost me? We go, how many levels do you want? They go, just one. And Michael says, zero. And the guy goes, you're going to give it to free? Give it to me for free? And Michael goes, no, I wouldn't even sell it to you because all we would be doing is blocking all the natural sunlight coming in. <laughs> oh, interesting. Right. Our technology really, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Jason explained it in a very technical way, but it's really as simple as this. Light dissipates with distance. So the closer you can have your lights to the plant, the more efficient that light's going to be for that plant. And the way that we've developed our light with the heat signature, which, I mean, if you saw us at a, a trade show, Suzanne, you could literally put your hands on both sides of the light, and it's been on for eight hours, and you're not going to burn yourself. And for our ability to be that close to the plant makes the light 10 times more efficient because we're not trying to shoot it from the ceiling, you know, five or six feet down. We're literally right on top of it. That That's kind of our secret in this a little bit. And and our, our part of the technology, we can really, really grow more and less space. And at the end of the day, if we're growing indoors, space is something that you need to conserve. Yes, absolutely. And I like the idea of even keeping the soil for the farms for the ones that don't lend itself to indoor growing. And so now you can really target the, the foods that do better in, in which of those environments because you've got some options. Right, exactly. So what would this take to get this in every city and, and really to take the technology to its fullest adoption? You know, I think you're starting to see it. And then Jason might have a different opinion on this. But, you know, at the end of the day, especially in this capitalist market, nothing really moves without money. And, um, you know, COVID, you know, again, not to bring that up again, but it really, um, you could see a transition in some of these uh, investors because the need just came, became so apparent. And, and we're a little bit different here in America. You know, it's hard to, when you look out the window in Minnesota and you see all this land out there, you're thinking, well, we've got plenty of land and we could farm forever like this. And that isn't the case. I mean, if you talk to people in the Netherlands, you go to Japan, China overseas, they take it much more seriously because they're, you know, looking down the future and they understand that, you know, food is going to be an issue. And I think COVID kind of shined a spotlight on that. And, uh, you know, that's my take on what, you know, what you're going to need to see to get this in every city. Also, uh, there's quietly, and, and I say this quietly, because if everybody realized what the actual challenges to uh, this disruption of our food supply chain is, there's a lot of different nations that are looking at this as a national security issue. Um, for instance, if you remember back, I believe it was Qatar or Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia got mad at them for something, and they put a they put an embargo on them, and they put a blockade. So they forced everybody around them to shut down any activity coming into Qatar. So they cut off their food supply completely. And we actually had somebody come to our booth who was a Norwegian fellow, and he said that the um, 
minister of defense for the country of Norway said, you know, we need to start doing something to bolster our food supply. We have gotten so complacent off of our oil field reserves and, and money. If we were to have a blockade like Qatar, we would only be able to feed 30% of our population. And that's the same thing coming into areas here in the United States where like some of the, the, some of the military bases out in the West that have been burnt tremendously because of the fires and whatnot. So they're going, okay, we don't have this land. How are we going to feed people? Um, and that's what you're seeing more and more in municipalities now too. There needs to be a long shift that is going to say that we have to do this from both um, a, a local level with local governments wanting to bring this in, job creation, national levels. I mean, you've got, you know, agriculture is huge, huge in the world, you know, mm. $7 trillion industry every single day. And, but what's happening now, if you look at the Middle East and all these other places, and as Michael said, we never realized how much international our food supply chain is. So like the blueberries we get in the wintertime are grown in South America and ripened on a, on a ship that's on, a, on the ocean for, four, for, for you know, six weeks, and then it gets here. And um, <laughs> tomatoes are a whole different ball of wax. We don't even yes. want to open up tomatoes on how tomatoes are ripened, quote-unquote, air quotes. Right. So – well, it certainly isn't through the sun, that's for sure. Well, I hear a lot of that is the scenario planning. So what if this were to happen? And then finding the right people who want to manage those risks and say, we need to get in front of this. And so addressing them be- before those problems actually arise. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and COVID might have done us a favor in recognizing that we can't take for granted that the way things have been going are the way they will always go. Absolutely. You're That's seeing exactly right. a lot of a lot of their their industry disruptor. They've been talking about sustainable growth, everything all the way around, going into containers, finding different ways, more innovative, using technology. And grow film is the disruptive technology in the lighting part that can actually really make this happen. Um, because we can increase on any of these indoor grows, on average we go in. And just by changing to their lighting, to our lighting technology, we can usually increase the production capability on the exact same square footage footprint by two to three times because they're going vertical. And we can get so thin and so intimate to the plant. And also we did a we did a um, energy evaluation study for a company in Canada. And just by switching to our product without looking at everything else, just the energy consumption we uh, reduced their need by 20%, which equated to $200,000 in operating budget every year. Well, that's what's incredible about your technology is the metrics that will come from this. Because many technologies, it's not always possible or easy to tie um, measurable outcomes to it. And having those metrics that really point to not only the, the revenue growth and the cost savings, I can see that the, the return on investment would be a lot easier to calculate on this versus some other technologies. Sure. Michael actually has a customer, and I'll let him quote this, but what is it your customer that does the containers? They can get something like 400 times Increase four hundred percent increase in yield compared to traditional crop growth. What was yes, that? it is something like that. And and this this container farm is very unique. Um, 
it, it, they are shipping containers. Everything is automated and robotic. When they literally close those doors and plants are inside, they do not open those doors till it's time to harvest. Um, there's sensors, cameras, they can monitor everything from inside. And the reason they have to do that is, is they're using every inch of space in that container. They literally use our lights to grow plants up to two inches away from the light. So they're not wasting any space at all. And if you use a, a light like ours, and again, we, we have options you know, you don't have to use full coverage and, and grow that close. We have options for any grower. But if you do use our light like that, I mean, you're pretty much using it in the most efficient way possible. And it all goes back to that light dissipates with distance. The closer you can be, the more efficient your light's going to be. And that makes a lot of sense. So I have two questions about your customers and then the role of the consumer. So my first question is, who are your target customers or who are your ideal customers right now? I mean, for, for me, it's either people that are looking, they're either in an in a R&D phase where they're looking at building, uh, you know, commercial scalable farms. Um, that's kind of how we're set up right now. I mean, I think in the future you will see um, us offer have different offerings for maybe more of a like an at-home user. Um, so that, that's one aspect that we look at. The other aspect is we do have a role in greenhouses. Now, we're not necessarily going to be the supplemental light in greenhouses, but when it comes to propagating, you know, getting their seedlings going and started, um, we, we've had uh, a lot of success with you know, using our lights to propagate plants that are going to be going to go into the greenhouse and effectively use the sun for the rest of their, you know, the plant life. Um, so that's kind of where we put ourselves uh, as as a scalable solution for these farms. Um, you're not at this point. You're not going to put out one of our lights in your in a closet at home because we're just not <laughs> set up for that. Um, but I do see that in, in the future that we would have a consumer version down the road where you could, if you wanted to do your own starter plants for your garden, you could do that, you know, in your house. Sure. And there are some um, consumer available products that do hydroponic growing. And for consumer education and to help create a pull, is there anything that would help people that aren't necessarily your, your target customer right now bring awareness and attention to this to create more demand for it? Absolutely. I think um, the consumer being aware of what's going on with kind of the food supply chain and just being a more conscientious consumer when they go to their grocery store, looking at what they're pur purchasing and just saying, you know, the same old is not acceptable anymore. And a lot of the younger generation is really embracing this now. Um, you know, it's crazy, but the, the millennials get a lot of heat for being slackers and whatnot. But when it comes to the local sustainable, they're kind of standing up going, no, I don't want that uh, overpriced uh, fiber and water coming from a field that's uh, 2,000 miles away. I want something that, you know, I can support the farmer that lives 50 miles away. And just being aware and, and asking for better choices for the community and everything else is going to help push all of that along. I mean, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, everybody from Walmart and all the big players are all looking at this very, very closely. Sure. And for someone who wants to learn more, where can they find more information, whether it's contacting you or publications that they should be interested? How, how can they become more educated? Sure. I mean, if they get into stuff on the technical side and just want to see it, our website, um, Hilux.com, HiluxLLC.com is a great 
place and just go under grow film and he can look at it and see all kind of the crazy things we're going to. And then if you just go on Google or search, you know, um, indoor ag, uh, controlled environment, agriculture, sustainable agriculture, urban agriculture, all of those pieces will come up with lots of different stuff that people can do and organizations they can support. But it's, it's growing very, very rapidly. And the more people that understand what the objective is, is going to make it because at the end of the day, as Michael said earlier, uh, there was a researcher that said if every farmer on the planet and every controlled environment ag person turned on the switch to go full production, we still don't have enough resources to feed the planet in the next 50 years. Wow. What a problem to solve. And I'm so impressed that you are actively solving this really, really big uh, issue that we could face. So I've really enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything more you would, you wanted to get across or share with our listeners? Just appreciate the time and uh, and everybody that's looking to work together in all of these trying times to optimize the beauty of what we are as human beings. What a great sentiment. Yeah, Michael, anything else from you? One thing I'll just add, um, you know, I've been in different uh, businesses uh, selling different things. And one thing that's really cool about this industry, and it's not everybody, but you know, most businesses, it's such a profit motive. It's, you know, I got to beat my competitor, that kind of thing. Most people that are in the vertical uh, farm game understand the massive problem that we're trying to face. And most people, you know, understand that, you know, I, my farm's not to take out the next farm. We're all in this together. There's, there's enough seats at the table. There's enough work to do. We can all be in business and prosper together and solve a very large pro- problem. And that's what it's been a kind of cool transition into this industry because a lot of people have that mentality. What a great way to think about it. The abundance mentality, because it really is intended to benefit everyone. Exactly. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Jason and Michael, thank you so much for your time today. I have a feeling I'll be hearing a lot more about your organization and your incredible technology. So thanks for sharing. And I wish you all the best going forward. Thank you very much. Thank you, Suzanne. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information and to contact us, visit www.humansoptimized.com.